From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. I think this time of year, you're looking for your guy to be better than the guy at the other end. And uh, that wasn't the case tonight. Boquist back in. It's a one-on-two. Cuts around Petrangelo. He scores! Wow! Boquist got by Petrangelo and sneaks it through Robin Leonard. Robin never went down to the ice. The puck stayed right along the ice. And into the goal it goes for Boquist. 3-1 New Jersey. Right corner, Pacioretty. They got to hurry. Centering pass. Stone fan on a shot. Two seconds and one. Shot at the horn is blocked. And the Devils have won the game 3-2. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Right, here we go, 5 o'clock hour. We come on the heels of a disastrous night for the Golden Knights. Lost to the Devils. Really outside looking in when it comes to making the playoffs in the NHL. We're tracking the NBA tonight. we got more Major League Baseball to get to. We're going to try to hunt down a former executive in the National Football League, Vinny Serrato, who's now hosting radio in Baltimore. We'll get his take on what's coming up next week in the 2022 NFL Draft. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. So Willie's awaiting a bet payoff at a local Italian restaurant. I lost a bet. I will be taking Willie to dinner. He's very excited about it. One, he doesn't want to get stiffed on the the bet. But two, are you hoping for a conversation? Because I don't know if you know this, but when I go to dinner, I pretty much am on the phone the entire time, and I will not speak to you. So am I. Okay, good. So we're, we're just going to sit across the table at the Italian joint and uh, just be on the phone the whole time. Now, apparently this bothered a restaurant. This is actually in the U.K. I don't think anyone in the uh, U.S. would have the balls to do this. Uh, 20% off a restaurant in Kent, England. 20% off they're offering if you will take your phones and put them in a little lockbox. No phone use for the entire meal. You get 20% off the bill. Is that worth it to you? Well... I, I could do it, but I wouldn't do it for the. But it's not for the reason you think. Okay. Because I don't need to be on the phone just to like for you know to check Instagram, to I check do. Twitter, to stay up on. But here's the thing: when you go out to a really nice restaurant, or even just a, a, a like a nice coffee shop, a nice deli, I like to post my food, and I like to brag about the places I'm at. I mean, how many times, Steve, have you clicked like? On my post, all from the, time. the place you'll be taking me, all the time, right? Because it's a classic yep. old school joint, and there's a lot of these places that'll come up and they'll put their their name, you know, those on on the receipt. They'll say review us on Yelp, and then and one of the things is add a photo. So these days, a lot of it, you know, has to do with, in a sense, marketing. They want you to take pictures of the food or the establishment. I went to a place up in downtown Summerlin twice last week before Golden Knights practice to sit down, do some work, eat some breakfast. And I wrote them a nice review because, you know what, they catered to me knowing I had to work, knowing what I was doing. And, and I wrote a nice review and I added photos. Could you so wait? if I don't have my phone, if it's, in a, if it's in a phone cell, which they're calling it, little tabletop jail cell, sure. I can't do that. Could you wait 45 minutes to do that and not during the meal? No. How am I going to take a picture if I've already eaten the meal? 
You take it before you eat the meal. 45 minutes later, you know what the phone does? It saves oh, the photo. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. If they would allow you to take it out, take the picture, put it back. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely. No problem. I will also give this advice. If the meal's not good, maybe you need the 45 minutes to cool down before annihilating and going like dangerous Danny mode. Our remote yeah. tech who destroys all of our clients and potential clients on social media. Like, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Back-to-back uh, -back times. Going down to UNLV to cover football practice, I got a little time in between when we can't watch practice. Back-to-back -back times, I went and got a bagel. Both bagels sucked! But you know what? I've cool. cooled down now. I'm not as upset about it. So there was no shout-out like, hey, so-and-so, your bagels blow. Did you go to the same place back-to-back -back times? No, of course not. No, because the first one was so bad, I'm like, let me try another one. And then I got the other one, and I was like, yeah, this is terrible. This oh, is not man. good either. Yeah. Does that bother? Let me ask you this: Does it because you're on your phone all the time? I get bothered when I see people immediately go to Twitter to tweet at the people and call them. I go, "Hey, da 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 da, do better." Like that's the customer service department is their Twitter. I I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll give I'll give you the other thing on food Twitter uh, when you're posting meals. You don't need to know where I'm at. I always do it after the meal, late. I won't do it during because I'm. I've. Oh, you're a big. You you're a big star. You don't need people bum rushing you while you're eating yeah, your meal. I, I do. Not, I have thought about that. Is like I wonder, especially since starting to do this right. show. <laughs> since I started hey, to do Willie, this show, and tea. I'm out. To, you got I'm out to and meatballs. Let me get some right now. I, I saw I you post it. I was around the corner, Willie. Come, come walking in, saying, "Oh, we saw you on Twitter. We thought we'd stop." Where's by. the gabagoo? <laughs> Number four. Uh, today was running back availability day at UNLV spring practice. Well, one problem, a couple of guys are a little bit dinged up. Um, Chad Maguire and Sammy Green uh, weren't practicing actively today. You know, you look at the running back group and you're like, oh, my God, there is someone missing. This program essentially, Willie, has had a great you know, 1,000-yard, 1,200-yard back. I think it's seven years in a row where they had someone reliable or a two-headed monster. Yeah. Listen, Lex is not here anymore. Charles Williams is gone. The group fighting for time right now. Courtney Reese, Javon Wilson, Spencer Briggs, Jordan Young-Humphrey. We're all out there today. Like I said, Magyar and Sammy Green uh, did not practice today. All guys are different sizes, different backgrounds. Here's Arroyo talking about, hey, what a job it's going to be. A lot of opportunities now for the running backs without Chuck. Those guys have been challenged. We know we know the departure of Chuck was a big is a big deal, you know, and, and so those guys have really been um, challenged to pick up that pick up that torch and go. And so all those guys are getting a ton of reps. Um, we've been really demanding that position. Um, we've been successful in this offense with those guys for a long time, and so um, we've encouraged those guys like Javon and Courtney and Magyar and Briggs and all those guys. They've got to be able to pick the thing up and go. And so uh, I'm excited about those guys continuing through spring and, and continue to evolve because there's a challenge there, you know, and, and losing a lot of experience there's a, a big deal. So. Um, continue to, to press those guys and, and recruit and, and, and work forward. You know, we talked about the transfer portal earlier because uh, Dickie V was going crazy. There is a very positive side to the transfer portal, and that is giving opportunities to kids either to drop down, move up, move laterally, whatever, find a better situation. And there are guys all over the UNLV roster who are in as transfers who have emerged as pretty good players who, when they came in, it was like, yeah, hey, what's that guy going to do? Maybe he's just a space filler. I don't know what's going to happen with – the latest running back who's walked on. He's a transfer. He played at Stetson. He's from the Jacksonville area. Jordan Young Humphrey, 5'9", 205, in the running back mix. I asked Arroyo today about this young man out of Florida. 
Walk on, yeah, Jordan. Um, yeah, doing a nice job. Another another guy we've added um, to the roster and I think gives some depth. Uh, he's got some playing experience, um, but he's done a good job just for for the short time he's been here. Um, again, adding some add some more value to that room and, and some more depth as we continue to recruit and move forward. How'd you find him? Another guy was in the portal. I, I think we had some relationships somewhere across the country with one of our staff members that that knew him. We watched him about the tape. Um, he had another guy. I think he moved into town as well. Family had some family here that was moving here, and so uh, he contacted us. We went back through it. I felt like you know we're gonna give it a shot here in the spring to see if we could uh, put him up to, to, to make him part of the roster. Willie, we're talking uh, you know a few months away from the college football season, but it is going to be one of the biggest stories on the UNLV roster, the running back position, and whether it's one person taking over, you know, eighty percent of the responsibility, or they're going to use four or five guys. They're not going to match the production of Charles Williams. That would be crazy to think that they can match it. But, you know, they got to rep it to a certain extent. Otherwise, they're going to have to throw the ball 65 times a game. Yeah, not immediately. And they can obviously they can grow these running backs, whoever it is. I, I'm intrigued by the young kid that you just brought up, uh, Jordan Young Humphrey. Um, just looking at his background, I mean, this dude was – I mean, he didn't really run a lot – his senior year, but he was on special teams, return kicks and punts. He put, obviously, you know, most high school players go uh, play both ways, so played on defense. But he was a track standout as well. So finished seventh in the state and uh, hardcore runner. So that's the kind of kid that comes in is going to be hungry, coming from another program, and he's going to be looking to find sort of find his niche in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see he comes from you know a football rich state. But you're right, you know, Marcus Arroyo is going to have to somewhat build up a, a, a new running back. They're not going to match. The, he's not going to immediately match the talent of what they had. But here's the thing. You can't discount because it's a new name. We don't know any of these guys. These are all they're all vying for a position and they could emerge. Someone could emerge and, and, and be a surprise, could be the newcomer of the year. You just don't know. And it, it, it all depends on the offense that Arroyo is going to be building around. We've talked about this. That's his specialty. And, you know, um, I think we know who's probably penciled in as the number one. And it could be a passing attack offense. And so because they're starting off with a new running back to take over uh, for Charles, it's, they, he, they're just going to have to find their, their sort of their role. And maybe except being a 50 to 60 yard rusher game, building up along the season, but coming up, maybe coming out of the backfield and catching some passes as well, being a little bit of a dual threat. Um, but I, you know, you have to have confidence in in what Arroyo's building and what he's doing and what what these guys, uh, what they're they're sort of breeding the running backs to do until they can match the talents of what we've seen in the past with this program. Number three. What happened to the match? Where are the celebrity golfers? It's all quarterbacks now. It's all quarterbacks, man. Are you happy about Brady, that? Brady, Rodgers, they're going to play Allen and Mahomes. So I'm just, I mean, Brady and Rodgers, the veterans, right? I think they're going to beat the young guys. The, the young guys are going to come in a little cocky, a little overconfident. But they're probably going to grip the club a little bit too tight. Brady and Rodgers have the experience. Um, my question is, hole-in-one guy, Derek Carr, didn't he just hit a hole-in-one? He was on social media, and then he addressed it in the, in the, in the press conference after his – big extension he said no i promise you it really was a hole in one even though nobody was there to see it how could how did they not include the hometown guy he's he's not wanted mm, they went with bigger stars but it's still it's las vegas it's las vegas why not use that's the a local good point guy? it is that I mean, win las vegas on june 1st wait, oh, so, so wait wait so josh allen's a bigger star than Derek carr yes 
Adam would b- agree with you? I, I don't care what Adam Hill would agree with. No, he's not objective on Josh Allen. But, yes, Josh Allen is a bigger star. He's yes. not objective on Derek Carr. He doesn't necessarily, right? He's, he's, well, I don't know if he's, he's objective anti- on Derek Carr either, but, <laughs> yeah. but he's certainly not objective on Josh Allen. No, that's for sure. Um, well, I'll tell you your, what I am your, glad where's about. Where's your boy of the past, Mickelson? Now, you know better than to even joke. No, I know. That's the right that thing to joke about. Go ahead. He, he is the not flame. my boy. No, he's not. No. He is no, not my not. boy. No. And, uh. I think that I think you've made a comment like a couple of years ago that it was when he did a press conference. I believe it was for this event that it was a good thing that I wasn't at that press conference because the last thing I would be asking about is the match. I'd be asking about something sure. else. I think one of your favorite late night podcasts is when I went off that night. I had a couple glasses of wine and it went. You've gone south. off several times that he's a snitch, and you know we've seen the myth of Phil Mickelson come unraveled over the last couple of years. And the latest one was with his, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia and. Hey, you know, the, the PGA needs competition, even if uh, the Saudis do this, this, and this. You know, to means to an end. So what if they're uh, chopping up people? Thanks, Phil. And then Phil mysteriously disappeared from the Masters. Well, it wasn't that mysterious. I actually think the PGA told him to stay away. But, uh, yeah, so the soft ban on Phil continues as he will not be part of the match. Number two. And we're not going to miss him. Why can't the Knights freaking score? Come on! It's the Devils. Leonard didn't have a great game last night, but, man, even if he had, they still would have been in the freaking soup. Here's Jonathan Marcheseau talking about the season and trying to make breaks and puck luck, and I, I don't know where he's going here. I feel like most of the games were, like, we're in it, but it's just, uh, like, we got to build our, our own luck also, you know? we got to have some puck luck uh, at some point, and it's not like always about chances. It's how all about the quality of our chances, and I don't think that's the case. And obviously, when we have a a chance like that in the slot or something like that, like me in the third period twice in the slot, like that's the that's the one that I gotta stick in. The good chances that we get, we don't bear down, and that's why we're losing games. There you go. Some accountability from one of the guys on the ice, Jonathan Marshall. So Pete DeBoer talked about drying up at the worst times. This has been a historical problem here, going dry at the wrong times. You know, and obviously the two most important games. I mean, t- tonight the goal we got was from our fourth line, so dried up at a at a bad time. Listen, it's after a game, and I want to be forgiving about coaches and taking every word at face value. But that doesn't sound good after the game, Willie, when he was like, that's eh, a historical issue. You know what? We don't I, – I, I don't need to hear about Gerard Gallant. I don't need to hear about your team. Historical that, issue? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about – I think more than anything, he's talking about series where they couldn't score. You know, they almost lost to Vancouver in the bubble, and then they got past them, and then they lost to Dallas, and their their offense went dry. Last year, their offense disappeared. No, no, I, I get what he's – I get specifically yeah. what he's referencing, but it seems like when he says that, then he's kind of kicking things upstairs and going, yeah. hey, you know – Hey, this is what I got to work with. And the same thing, I've been telling you. Like, is that what he was saying? Well, I was was acting like I was yelling upstairs for some reason. Yeah, I don't think. There's no one on the roof here at Lotus. I think he was making a comment, and that's the way it came out. I don't necessarily think he's placing blame, pushing it there. I think, I mean, but the Golden Knights, I mean, the last two games, they've had 83 shots on goal. And they've scored twice. I mean, they're just not finding the back of the nut. And that that is where Jonathan March saw saying they need to find their own puck luck. And what they mean by that is, like last night, I mean, the, the, the Devils had their block shots were just, I mean, you had block shots and missed shots. 
So on top of shots on goal, you, you factor in the block shots and the miss shots, and they're not getting the rebounds that are, you know, caroming out with, with the goalie out of position. And that's the puck luck that Jonathan Marchessault is talking about. They got to, you know, here's 83 shots in two games, and they're not getting the right rebounds. They can't, so they can't find the back of the net. Now, I ran some numbers. Interesting. I went to the 2017-2018 Golden Knights roster, and I clicked on every single name to look at what their numbers are right now, as of right now, this season with the team that they're with, even if they're with the Golden Knights. And I compared it to this year's Golden Knights team. There are 21 active skaters from the Stanley Cup team, the team that went to the Stanley Cup final in 2018. And as of right now, they have 192 goals. The 36 players that have stepped on the ice, 36 skaters, three goalies don't count, obviously. The 36 skaters that have stepped on the ice for the Golden Knights have 242 goals. 15 more skaters, and you're talking about 50 more goals. But average-wise is where we're talking. Per player... 6.77 6.77 goals per player on the Golden Knights roster. On the guys that represent the 2017-18 roster, an average of 9.14 goals per player. That's three more goals per skater. That's rough. And if you just do the active skaters from 17-18, that would be an extra 60 goals. Number one. Coming up, we hit number one. Uh, after the game, again, DeBoer talking about historical issues and then also made reference to the play of Robin Leonard, basically saying in these games, you know, you need a better performance than we got uh, in this one from Robin Leonard. Moving forward, and we're hearing the same thing. We got to win them all. You needed to win them all. Now it's getting too late. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. So here's a first and 10 on the 11, likely last play. Horton steps up, throws to the end zone, up for grabs, hold in, Terrell Owens, his first catch in fan-controlled football history and his first touchdown. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. He's back. The NFL's right around the corner, Willie. T.O. with a touchdown in uh, what? What? What is that called? Fan-controlled what? Fan-controlled football. Exciting times. Can you bet on that? I would imagine I you can't. Didn't we cover I don't this? Don't know. Uh, did you guys cover it already? I mean, if there's fan involvement, I know we. I think we we were wondering about it. We it, it came up in conversation. I thought it was you and I, but it came up in conversation in that. Could you possibly cover? How could you possibly have a line on it if the fans are in control of it? Because yeah, we were talking about because you're like, can you imagine if they had like play by play props like would the next play be this or that? And we were we were joking in that manner, but that it would be tough to allow betting on something like that. So the Knights lose to the Devils last night, 3-2. They're way on the outside looking in when it comes to a playoff spot. I keep reading, hey, heads are going to roll. There's going to be big changes. Why? Should there be big changes? Well, I I, I don't know. I, you know, I have consistently 
defended Peter DeBoer, um, and not because he's endured this injury plague season. It's just it's to make that as the excuse because they refuse to make that an excuse. But more so in that there's st- if you okay if you look at the the big picture in how many guys were missing at, at, at a certain point at their worst possible time with Stone out, Pacioretty out, uh, Leonard out, Riley Smith. I mean, you go down the list, Carrier's out. They're still in the hunt. We're sitting here five games out after back-to-back losses, and they're still in the playoff hunt. Steve, four teams, Golden Knights, Kings, Nashville, Dallas. If you look at their last, each team's last predominant streak, if you will, the Kings are 8-8-2 eight, eight, and two over their last 18 games. Nashville, 6-6-1 six, six, and one over their last 13 games. Dallas, 4-3-2 and two over their last nine games. Golden Knights are 7-3-1 and one over their last 11. So take the two wins out, they're 7-1-1 one, and one over their last nine. And they're still in this race. So the fact that they've overcome all that, and they're, we're talking about them in the playoffs... I think if there's going to be, quote-unquote, heads that roll and there's going to be changes, Foley's going to have to look in the front office. And I'm not so sure that McPhee and McCrimmon are going to be both scapegoats. And, and how you know, and if, if he were to make it a choice, I don't know which one goes. If I were to lay money, I would think he may have to look at McCrimmon first because I think McCrimmon – when George McPhee was the GM and held that title, you know, many said that McCrimmon was the, the his main eyes and ears in the scout because he had his finger on the pulse of the junior circuit and a lot of the young players. And he was the one, you know, especially with his vested interest in a club. So he knows those guys. Well, now that he's the GM, he's doing it all. So maybe he's still pushing the buttons and making the decisions. I don't know. But – it's not good in where in, in in where in what we're looking at in how the team not just loses but loses badly. Last night there was the first night that I said, okay, I wonder why Peter DeBoer made the choice to go with Robin Leonard because when we asked him that, he didn't really sound definitive and and believable in terms of that he was confident in his answer, and I have to wonder if he's just loyal to his guy that he chose two years ago in a bubble over Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's sticking to his guns instead of going with the rookie, Logan Thompson. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's good, but they got a tough road. I know Golden Knights and, and Kings, they have five games left. Nashville and Dallas, they have uh, six games left. And Kings probably have the easiest schedule. Nashville has the toughest one. More VGK coming up in about 15 minutes. Let's get back to the NFL drafts as we'll talk to a uh, former exec in the league doing radio now in Baltimore, the very interesting Vinny Serrato. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. DK Metcalf, let's trade him to Baltimore with a potential Hall of Fame quarterback in Lamar Jackson who's already won an MVP. Here, here's a guy who just needs to get an alpha dog at the receiver position. They should really try to go for it. Now, if Baker goes to Seattle, I wouldn't do it if I'm Seattle. But if they don't land Baker, they should move him to Baltimore. That's a move that I would like to see in the offseason. Now. 
back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Man, so much talk about receivers with Devontae Adams to the Raiders for 29 mil a year. Tyreek Hill making a little more than that with the Dolphins, and I wonder how it affects the draft. Let's get into the draft and you know personnel talk around the National Football League. Vinny Serrato worked in the league with the Niners and the Skins. Now he's doing a radio show in Baltimore and gives us a couple minutes here on Cofield and Company. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are we? How's our things in Vegas? It, awesome, awesome. And now we got the NFL here. We got the draft coming. We get everything here, Vinny. Well, before that, Vegas is the king. Night, we got caps at Vegas. That's that's the biggest thing tomorrow night. There you go. There you go. All right. Let's uh, let's get into the 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 wide receiver deal impact uh, first around the league. We've been asking everyone who covers the NFL. What's going to happen with guys like Debo and A.J. Brown and McLaurin when they ask for their big money here and they're going to sit out voluntary camps? What's going to happen? Nothing. I mean, <laughs> all right, they're going to they're going to sit out. You know, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's uh, right now the OTAs and stuff. It's you know, it's voluntary, mandatory. Yeah. So they're going to sit out, and you know, our team's going to pay them. I mean, they're all going to want over twenty million dollars a year, and teams can't afford that right now. And they don't have to pay them right now. You know, are guys going to be upset? Sure. Are they going to hold out? Probably not, because the fines that they'll they'll get would be huge, and most of them can't afford that. So, in the draft, how does the higher salaries? How do the higher salaries around the NFL affect how teams draft wide receivers? Well, that'll be big because teams are going to. I mean, because the wide receiver draft is really deep. Uh, I was really impressed with a lot of the wide receivers. And you've got a chance to get a young guy for five years before you have to pay him. You know, so cheap labor, that's the big thing, especially if you're paying a quarterback. It's hard to pay both, you know. So you, if, if like, the, like you guys were talking about the Ravens, and, you know, when the Ravens pay Lamar Jackson, they're going to need some cheap labor because they're going to they're gonna pay. Lamar's going to have a huge, huge deal and huge cap numbers. And I've said for a long time, you show me you show me a team with a hundred million dollar quarterback, I'll show you a team with not a lot of depth. And now it's getting to be a hundred and fifty, two hundred million dollar quarterback. So the Raiders combo where you're gonna have uh you know Devontae Adams and Carr making like sixty four million dollars combined is gonna be the, the abnormal situation. Yeah, well the thing about it is is what you have to do is you have to draft well. Because if your draft picks because that's your cheap labor. So if you're if you don't hit on your draft picks, especially your middle and late round draft picks, that's where you get your depth of your football team. That's what you've got to be able to do. And that's why the Rams, why have the Rams been so successful? You know, because they've traded away all their early picks and went and paid for quality, high priced guys, but their middle like Cooper Cup and some of those, you know, their later picks have hit. So it's pretty obvious then that the Packers and the Chiefs with all these picks coming up in this draft are probably not going to move picks for an experienced wide receiver. They may not even move up in the draft. No, why why would Kansas City move up for an experienced wide receiver when they just, you know, that's why they got rid of Tyreek Hill, you know, because they couldn't afford that. You know, and same with Green Bay. Green Bay's not going to do that. They're they're going to draft young guys and because like I keep saying, young guys are the cheap labor. And, you know, if you go pay a receiver 25 mil, all of a sudden, you know, here, here's what my cap guy in Washington always says. You can have whatever you want, but it's about choices. If you do that, 
then okay, then you got to give up this. So if you want to go pay for a big wide receiver, okay, where does it come from? Does it come from defense? You know, where does it, it's got to come from somewhere. Where do you think it comes from with the Raiders? Because it looks like they have a need for another cornerback, and they really haven't changed up the offensive line. Yeah, well, the thing about it is when you, when with David Carr, I mean, you better the, – the thing about it is, I mean, you look at a good example is the Bengals. Because, I mean, I I was really upset with the Bengals and their, and their coaches prior to this past year. Because, I mean, you got a great quarterback, and you're letting him get killed. You're letting him get sacked. Last year, last year, Burroughs got sacked 70 times. But I give him credit. They went out and signed three, you know, free agents. O line to help them out because you got to protect your assets, your high priced assets, and that's the same thing when you look at the Ravens. I mean, they they need to help Lamar with the offensive line because Lamar's biggest thing is to me lost confidence, you know. And he was, how does a four three guy get sacked like almost fifty times? Yeah. Makes no sense to me, you know. Benny Serrato doing radio now in Baltimore. Work with the Niners. Work with the. Skins around the National Football League. Are any of these quarterbacks in this draft worth a selection in the top 20? No. No, I hate to say it. I mean, you know, because you don't know for sure what you're getting. Are you, can, is he a plug-and-play? You know, and, I, and like Willis, no. Pickett. Uh, I mean, you know, I know some teams like Pickett. And, you know, how much better is Pickett going to get? He, he can throw the ball well and and do all those things, but is he a guy that can take you to the next level? Whereas next year, the, the quarterback draft is much better. So are you going to, you know, spend your first round pick this year, like Carolina, the sixth pick, are you going to, you know, take Pickett or Willis or something? And especially you got a coach on the hot seat. That's the thing about it is, you know, you're, you're taking a guy and, you know, he may play, may not play. I don't, I don't really, I don't see it. I'd rather take, a guy that I know about who's quality, and go get Baker Mayfield. If I'm Carolina, go get Baker Mayfield. He's won playoff games. What is the deal with Matt Rule? What do you mean, what's the deal with Matt with Rule? The, with, the organi- uh, with the organization. Do they want him or not? Well, the thing about it is when you got an owner that gave him a seven-year deal, paid him a ton, <laughs> right? You know, and he's the richest guy in the league, he doesn't care. You know, Here's the thing that you got to know about owners is, you know, if if they're not happy, they're very impulsive. They'll they don't care. They've got enough money where yeah. they'll pay the guy off to get to the next guy. It doesn't matter. You know, and that's the thing. I mean, rule. If he doesn't win, he'll be gone. How is rule regarded around the league? I think a lot of people probably didn't know him that well. I mean, he was a temple. He was at Baylor. He did a nice job at both places. And then you know, with the money that they paid him. And the length of contract that he got, I think a lot of people in the NFL were kind of shocked. And then, you you know, I mean, you got to put up or shut up. And he hadn't put up yet. Yeah, that's why I didn't understand the whispers. If you give a guy a seven-year deal and you don't have a franchise quarterback for him there, then I don't know that you can get all antsy. Like you said, they're rich, so they do what they want. But you can't get all antsy after a couple of years when the guy hasn't had a chance to work with a real quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you've got to – yeah. I mean, and this thing, Steve Bashani, the owner of the Ravens, said, you know, at the owners' meetings a few weeks back, he says, if I was an owner, if I'm an owner and I don't have a big time, you know, a franchise quarterback, I'm miserable as an owner. And 
you look at uh, Cleveland. How long have they been miserable? How long have you been looking? And you've got to look until you find one. Because the thing about it is, in the National Football League, you can't win unless you got one. From your talks with people around the league, how many people are super nervous about Watson getting all that guaranteed money? It's almost like you know there was a Cleveland tax to finally fix the the quarterback problem, but you know they're they're paying for a guy here who's certainly still surrounded by some serious issues. Well, the thing about it was the guaranteed money. I mean, you know, the highest guarantee prior to that was 150 million, and even Steve Bashotti, I mean, you know, he had guts enough to say it that uh, that was kind of a shock, and they were kind of pissed you know, about that, because then all of a sudden, you know, every agent from then on says, you know, hey, it's been done. Because if it's been done, then you can ask for it. Because otherwise, teams would always say, that's never been done before. Nobody's ever guaranteed full quarterback contract. And now it's been done. So people are going to ask, are they going to get it? I don't think they're going to get it. You know, I don't think Lamar's going to get 200 and whatever million guaranteed. I think he's going to get a lot guaranteed, but he's not going to get that. But, yeah, it pissed a lot of people off. And then they went and, you know, just paid Denzel Ward the highest paid, you know, corner in the league, too. Vinny Serrato's with us. Let's get back to the draft. So we're seeing, you know, Agent Aiden Hutchinson eh, yep. projected as the number one guy. Then we're hearing uh, Jax isn't exactly sure about it. Is he a number one pick? Yeah, I, I think so. And the thing about it, I love to watch him film. You know, and I've seen him a lot at Michigan. My my son is committed to Michigan for hockey, you know, and he's a junior in high school. So I've watched a lot of Michigan, you know, football and stuff. I think Hutchinson, um, he's got the least amount of holes, you know, with the first pick. He or Aquano, you know, I mean, I think either one. But the thing with Hutchinson is this. Hutchinson's going to play hard. He's got great effort. He's going to be in the weight room. He's going to do all the things you ask. He had a great year, and he can he gets sack production. You can sleep well at night not having to worry about Aiden Hutchinson. And, you know, there's no risk involved. You know, he's going to be in the weight room, all those things. Like with a Trayvon Walker, I mean, everybody says Trayvon Walker, Trayvon Walker. You know, he doesn't have the sack production. He's And do you play him inside? Do you play him outside? There's more question marks about him, okay, you know, he was awesome at the combine. I give him that. He was great. Okay. You know, so are you going to take that risk at one that he reaches that potential? Or are you taking a guy? If you look at Hutchinson's numbers at the combine, he was off the chart too. Like his 10-yard dash time was as good as anybody. You know, and all the top rushers in the league run one six three or better in the 10. Hutchinson was one six two. Look up his three cone, which changed the direction, you know, and things. His was off the chart numbers wise. So I think if you take Hutchinson, I think it's an awesome pick. He'll play for ten years in the league, and you'll never have a problem with the guy. Defensive ends, offensive tackles, cornerbacks. I think you know, you if you have an opportunity to take a a high level guy with a high pick, you do it. From your scouting experience, how do you know? on the offensive tackles. Obviously, they're all gargantuan human beings, but how do you know who's going to translate to the National Football League? Biggest thing I look at is athletic ability. You look at the really good ones. You look at the great players. They, they're athletes. And to me, they got to be able to bend their knees. You know, Joe Bugle, you know, who's one of the best offensive line co- I, I happen to be uh, around a couple of the best old Bob McKittrick with the Niners and Joe Bugle when I was at the Redskins, two of the best O-line coaches in the history. 
you know, and it's about smart and tough gets you in the door. You know, that gets you in the door, but then athleticism and everything else moves you up the board. You talk about all the guys that, you know, you're talking about Neil and Aquano, you know, and Cross. What can they all do? You know, they can all move their feet. They can all bend their knees. Because, I mean, a guy that can't bend the knees is he ends up always on the ground, and he can't slide his feet. And athletes, if you're an athletic guy, your ceiling is much higher. you got a lot more potential, you know, to, to be great. Whereas a guy that can't bend his knees, guy's not a good athlete, you know, his ceiling, you know, is going to be limited to how much better he can really get. So do you remember back in 2006 uh, scouting and discussing a guy like Andrew Whitworth who went went on went on to play all this time until he's 40 years old, you know, 6'7", 210 pounds out of what, LSU. Do you remember scouting him? I mean, the guy slipped into the second round and then had this career he had. Yeah, well, you know what? There, There's always those guys that, you know, he's super smart, super tough, you know, and that's the thing about it. You know what's funny? Like with Joe Gibbs – Joe Gibbs always used to say, you know, smart, tough. And then he always used to like guys. When when they he would go into an offensive meeting, he would go look in to see the guys that take notes. And then he wanted to see what kind of notes. If a guy was a good note taker, he loved them, you know. And that was that's the thing, you know, about the Whitworths and those kind of guys. They're super smart. They're tough. And, you know, they can figure things out because of their intelligence. They they know how to take the proper angles and do those things. And as you get older, you know, you learn all those things. And, and as you as you grow at the position, I mean, when I was at the Niners, we didn't have a lot of, you know, superstar offensive linemen, but they were smart, they were tough, and they fit with what we did. And that's the thing is, you've got to be in a system that fits with what you do offensively. How much do you rely on the college coaches and position coaches when you're trying to analyze a guy, getting information from them on their players, well, uh, asking them because you got to get somebody that you know because otherwise they're not going to tell you the truth because they're going to because here's what happens is you go talk talk to a college coach and you, you know and he's not like a real good friend of yours and he says something negative and it gets out then all of a sudden that guy gets crucified you know by the kid by right. the family you know and then recruits and everything else so it's got to be a good friend of yours, but I mean, it, it can gain a lot of knowledge. I remember Al Davis. Al used to, when I was in San Fran, because I just come from Notre Dame, and Al, Al would say, you have, a, you have an advantage that none of us have because you were at Notre Dame. You know all those kids. You've been at every kid's home. That's not fair, you know, because you know everything about them, and that's what you're trying to find out. You're trying to find out as much as you can about them. Yeah, and the reason I ask, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly happened with the Raiders and what kind of information they got on Alex Leatherwood, who they seem to draft a little higher than he was projected. And now we're looking at a situation where they're going to give him a chance this year, but probably no shot at tackle. And he may not even be a, a guard in the NFL with the 17th pick in the draft. Yeah. Well, how about the fourth pick when they took the defensive lineman? I mean, yeah. that's the same thing. I mean, they, they kind of overdraft. You know, you, you, what happens is, is they fall in love, you know, and I don't know if it's at the combine or what. They see something they like or, you know, I don't, I don't understand it because when I watched film, I didn't, I didn't see it. You know, in Leatherwood, I didn't like Leatherwood. I didn't think Leatherwood could play left tackle. You know, um, but well, he, he I can't. Mike, he, it doesn't look Mayock like he can play right, and he might not be able to play right guard. I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I don't disagree with you there. I mean, because 
you know, what you got to be able to do is, number one, you got to be smart. Offensive linemen, you got to be smart because you got to pick up stunts. You got to pick up twists. Everything changes. There's so much movement and stuff. So, you know, for you to play fast, you got to play, you got to be smart because if you're thinking, there's no way you can play fast. And if, if you're thinking, that defensive lineman's already passed you. And I think, you know, that, that may be some of the stuff with Leatherwood. Vinny, that was awesome. Appreciate your knowledge. Thank you so much. And uh, continued good luck with the, uh, the show on uh, 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. There he is. Vinny Serrato, you heard it. Background at Notre Dame. Played college football. Worked with the uh, Niners and the Skins. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Willie, you got any baseball action tonight? Nope. Didn't even, you know, it's funny. I was just looking at the scores. I didn't even look at the lines or anything today because I was sort of in tune to the basketball. I've been betting a couple of games a day. Yesterday's action got screwed by uh, JVT recommending heavy favorites in the NHL. He made me bet that parlay. I never bet parlays, John, but I bet that parlay with the Hurricanes and VGK. And uh, I thought it was the Canucks. No. Was Hurricanes was four, Hurricanes? Hurricanes 410, VGK 350, minus 167 on a two-team parlay, and uh, the Knights the Knights did me in. But uh, I've been doing all right on baseball, trying to stay under control, don't play too many games. Also, remind myself not to bet bad teams. All right, well, today I bet Cincinnati against uh, San Diego off to a 2-9 and nine start. The Reds are, and they're getting, uh, what are they, plus 195, so we'll see what happens. Do you play one. any baseball props at all? I do not. What, what do you recommend? If you if you recommend something, I will bet it right now. Well, there's nothing to bet right now until Hunter Green starts. But the next time Hunter Green starts, yes. look at the strikeout prop. Strikeout prop is four and a half on, on a pitcher. Okay. Look for Hunter Green, this rookie. If, if you can get four and a half, play it over. <laughs> the phone's shaking in my hand. Bet, 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 bet. No, I'll, I'll, uh, I don't know that I'll jump on that one, but I did. We did mention yesterday the Coke and that Hunter Green threw an MLB record 39 pitches in one game that were 100 miles an hour or faster. Stud. So, crazy story. Crazy story, and unfortunately saddled with an organization that I don't think really uh, cares much about. So how long until he's with the Yankees? That's a good point. Yeah, he'll if he is successful early on here, then he's gone after what year three. We had the owner tell us last week. Well, you know. You got what you got. You got no other choice. So you got to root for the Reds. Otherwise, we're going to move. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Um, early list, and it's only one source on this one. I thought this was interesting. Kyron uh, yeah. Lindsay, who decommitted from UNLV, had committed back in September 2021. Uh, SMU, LSU, and Tulsa are in, according to one uh, Twitter handle, to see Kyron Lindsay. So... Still think it'll be Florida, but, you know, we're just putting two and two together with UNLV assistant Carlin Hartman there. Stick your hand in Big there, decision coming up, Willie, probably on the 22nd. That's what uh, sources are saying on Kendrick Davis, who I think is the most impactful player in the transfer portal. And no surprise, the little point guard from SMU who really did in the Rebels when they played. 
has Texas Tech, Gonzaga, and Kansas, along with Texas, on his list. He needs to go and try to win a national championship. Where would you go, Kansas or Gonzaga? Well, Gonzaga has the potential of losing all five starters, so I'm not sure if that's a potential landing spot, even though he could start right away. I probably would go to Kansas. 